Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. How many of you didn't achieve the goal? Not because you took all of the action and you didn't get it, but you couldn't even get yourself to take the action consistently because you didn't even believe it was possible or you were so fearful and or embarrassed about the idea of failing. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. So, I'm looking forward to this week's episode of The Less Stress Life because any morning I can spend starting my morning talking to my friend Jessica McKinley, who is a life coach at whatshappening.com, is a good morning. So, if you haven't listened to one of Jess's last couple of episodes, you want to go back and do that as well. I'm sure you'll feel that way after you listen to it. Jess is a business and life coach for smart, ambitious female entrepreneurs who know that while business isn't personal, it is emotional. And oh my gosh, that is very true. Her coaching methods are a hybrid of systems-based business coaching and mind management techniques, making her not your average life or business coach. She makes creating results simple, helping you reverse engineer any problem with intentional thought, feeling, and action plans. So welcome, Jess. Thanks so much to be back. I feel like this is The Less Stress Life. It's my second podcast home. Feels so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the reason you got the invite back this time, I've known Jess for since the beginning of my own personal development journey. I don't even really know when that is, right? Was it five? Was it six? Was it who knows? The years start to blend together. It doesn't matter. But she wasn't early, early piece of it, which is awesome. So we've kind of known each other through just transitions and evolutions of our own businesses. And Jess has come on in the past. I know the first time she was in one of the earliest episodes about, I think, happiness theory. I could be wrong. Like there's different... You you say things so eloquently, core values. And do you remember the last topic that you talked on? Yeah, I believe last the last time was about core values. And the first time was about happiness experiments. Oh, yes. Happiness experiments. Lovely. So today we're on because I was listening to Jess's podcast recently. And I thought, everything she says is fabulous. So today she thought you guys might, you ladies and dudes might enjoy a conversation about how failure isn't failure. And she's going to go ahead and explain it to us in a much more nice way. So just take it away. We're talking about failure collection, which is doesn't make sense. So help us understand this. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I really am addicted to my all of my clients who I call my hapsters will tell you that my tools and the labels that I use for things are usually they're contradictory in themselves. So failure collection, I really love this idea. In fact, I was just sending out an email today that was talking about your capability and your suckage. (laughs) And I just love the idea that anytime we're pursuing something as entrepreneurs, or really, it could apply to anything, certainly failure collection is something that you could use when you're on your food journey. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But The idea of failure collection is the idea that your capacity for success really needs to include your capacity for failure. And I think a lot of people think of success and failure as two opposite ends of a spectrum. And really what I believe and what I teach is that the more failure you collect, the closer you get to success in any area of your life. So For example, when a client comes to me, all of my clients are smart, ambitious female entrepreneurs. However, they all have completely different businesses in different industries. And what I've learned is it really, really does not matter the industry. Whenever a client comes to me, we set a really, what we call an unrealistic goal. And I think, again, that's fun to kind of say because we need to a little bit reverse psychology, our own brain, because our brain, hears a goal that we have not yet achieved. And it says to us, whoa, I've done a case study. And I've gone back into the history of our life and our brain. And we have no evidence that we can achieve this. And I think that looking to our past to decide what's possible for our future is not a really great place to go. But that's what our brain wants to do. So we need to kind of trick it and say like, okay, I get it, brain. We hear you. We're not setting a goal. We're just telling you this is impossible. This is unrealistic. We get it. We're on the same page, but we're going to go for it anyway. Actually, what we're going to try and do isn't even hit the goal. It's to collect failures towards this goal. And the brain is kind of tripped up because it's not used to this. And it's like, okay, well, do we have proof that you can fail? Yeah, I guess we do have proof that you can fail. You failed at tons of stuff. It's pulling things up. It's like, all right, have at it. You want to fail? Like, okay, we can probably do this pretty well. So I help my clients come up with what types of action would we have to take to create what types of desired results? And then when the desired result and the actual result at the end of each month don't match up, that's a failure collected. But the truth is, is the real goal is the strategic byproduct of each failure. So let's say, for example, my goal was to make uh, six figures in my business. And one of those ways was to increase my platform and the people that were following me so that I could get more clients. So one of the failures that I set out to collect in January was to be on 12 podcasts, be a guest on 12 podcasts, right? And the action that I was taking, so you have to fill out four things for each collection. It's the action that you're going to take that month. So that action was, I'm going to approach and pitch myself to 50 podcasts that I would love to be on that their audience is all people who would be entrepreneurs, right? And then 
out my desired result is very clear. It's 12 yeses out of 50, right? And the only responsibility that I have to do is make the clear outcome, like have it clear and written down. And then all I have to do is go after the action. And then at the end of the month, I have to track and say, what was the actual result? And the actual result was actually six yeses. And that was a failure collective. But the strategic byproduct is what I learned in the process of failing, in the process of getting no's. So what I learned was, hey, if I approach someone first in a platform that was not their typical platform submission, and I could get a hold of them in some way, whether adding value in the comments on their Instagram, or connecting with them on LinkedIn, or sharing something with someone on their team, then when I reached out, it was more likely that I was going to get at least a response. And that was what I learned in the process. So before I had this, I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to fail, probably. But now I'm getting closer and closer to being the type of person that can actually achieve my goal. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. It is, though, a process, a very intentional amazing process, because we're totally fooling our brain. Okay, I mean, I'm just going to recap a little bit. How often? Okay, who sets goals and doesn't achieve them? Everyone raises their hand. And there's a bit of a I have a a little thing I cut out, I just grabbed off my desk. And I love the quote, but it kind of taunts me sometimes. It says with habits, we don't make decisions. We don't use self control. We just do the thing we want. And I think what you're saying here is that when you collect, you basically set up your desired act, like you know your desired results. So you start with the end in mind, and then you identify the desired act, the actions that have to line up to do that. And that sounds like creating of habits, at least short term, right? That you must have in order to move forward. I mean, maybe we could say it in a different way. Maybe you would strip it apart in a different way as well. No, I think that that's really like the root of it. But then what happens is the reason why people can't just do that part is that until they acknowledge with their brain that the goal is actually collecting the failure and not just the win, that you're less likely to feel motivated to show up to take that action. That's the key. And you said, like, how many people would raise their hand if they said they haven't achieved the goal? Like, of course. But I would say out of that, the better question is, how many of you didn't achieve the goal? Not because you took all of the action, you didn't get it, but you couldn't even get yourself to take the action consistently because you didn't even believe it was possible or you were so fearful and or embarrassed about the idea of failing. I'm just writing notes here. (laughs) And was that quote that you said about habits, was that Gretchen Rubin? Well, that's funny because I don't actually know. It's just one of those pieces of paper that landed on my desk and didn't go in the garbage. So it doesn't okay. say who wrote yeah. it. If you guys listening haven't read her book better than before, and if she's known for the happiness project and she has the happiness podcast, I actually don't know what it's called. Is it called the happiness project? I'm not sure. For anyone who doesn't know, I just want you to know right now that Jess is an encyclopedia of personal development books. Like it's obscene, actually. She's like, oh, yeah, you probably read that book way back, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I don't know anyone who reads more personal development books than Jess. Like, <laughs> I know. She is an encyclopedia. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. Like, I'm always looking for new ones. And it's really difficult for someone to recommend me something that I haven't read yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, love that one. Yep. No, 
read that. <laughs> so if you got one, I've challenged you, listener. If you're a personal development junkie, come find me on Instagram, what's happening, WJS, and hit me up. Give me all your recommendations. I would love to be stumped. Uh, I like it. I have some ideas later. So I love it. All right. So we can't just like you have this goal, but you have to collect the failure. So uh, my notes are not clear. You said if we're collecting, are we less motivated for the success or the failure, right? Like what's a natural thing? I wrote down like I'm less motivated, like, but if I'm going toward, hey, I got to collect this failure, tell me how what's going on in my brain, right? Like how that changes a little bit. Help me with that a little. So our brain always looks to the past to see whether we're capable of doing something. And it's very evidence-based. It's a machine, right? So it's the same way if you were to type something into Google, what is whatever, you can't just type the question, what is possible? Because it's not a future focused machine, right? It only has everything that's happened up until this point. And that's how our brain works as well. But we have this awesome other thing called imagination, which is something that computers don't quite have down yet, but it works in our favor or against us sometimes. And unfortunately, most of us as adults use our imagination to imagine horrible things happening to us. (laughs) Um, That's probably true. Yeah. And so it's like, right, we use our imagination for worry, which I call negative goal setting, actually. And so if you're not going to spend all of your time managing your mind, which even I don't, it's just very exhausting. Managing our mind takes a lot of energy. So instead, what we can do is kind of trick our brain. If our brain is going to look to the past to say whether we can do something or not, and what we want to achieve is actually something we've never achieved yet, then what we need to tell our brain we're out to do is actually collect the failure. Because if we tell it, hey, our goal is to make a million dollars, our brain is going to look into the past and say, who do you think you are? that you think that we're going to go out and make a million dollars. Nobody's going to buy that for you. You're so disorganized. It's going to pull up a case study of all (laughs) of the reasons why. And like the smarter your brain is, actually the harder it is for you to go after your goals, which I feel like people are kind of, sometimes when I tell my clients that they're like, that makes so much sense because their excuses in their brain and their inner critic is so much more legit sounding. It's like you have like a little lawyer in there that's like, well, and it's just like puts a whole stack of books on. It's like, let me explain point A, like one point A of the reasons why you cannot do this, right? So Mm -hmm. instead, if we say, okay, we're not actually trying to make a million dollars. We know that that's impossible for the person that we are today. But what we know we can do is collect these failures along the way. And that through the strategic byproducts that we're going to learn, we're going to become a different person in the next year if we keep taking these baby steps and being willing to fall flat on our face over and over again. And then eventually we will be a different person, more likely the person that will be capable of making a million dollars. I love it. You know what? It also is reminiscent. I love how things are always tied together. You said our brain has this beautiful thing called an imagination, which is allows us to be beyond brain Google, right? Mm -hmm. Because our brain operates like Google. And this is why vision boarding, which is something people want to not do, can be powerful because it allows you to dream up things that seem ridiculous sometimes and that you don't believe in them. And then you can just like 
actually physically put them on paper or in a picture. And sometimes I'm alarmed at looking at a vision board I created in 2017. I'm like, hmm, did that, did that, did that on time? Like, mm-hmm. didn't even know we could do those things. But that's what it kind of reminds me of. But I'm making it a chance. Sometimes that's a really loose example because you're giving a much more step-by-step outline of how to actually accomplish it by tricking your brain to do it in the more realistic way, right? I think this is just reality. It's so interesting that you said that about the vision board because actually there's another fascinating thing that happens with our brain where it actually, when it's a, a visual and an image, our brain, if we're looking at something, it stores the visuals of us looking at our vision board as a memory in the same place that it stores a memory. So sometimes Mm. if you're visualizing, so I don't know if you've ever, I think we've talked about this. Well, actually, wait, that was the last topic. We talked about the miracle morning, I think. We, that was the first topic. We talked about the miracle morning and your version of that, the first first episode. So Mm -hmm. um, in the miracle morning, part of that is visualization. So people do it different ways. You can do your vision board. You can have some images on your phone or you could literally just close your eyes and visualize like you stepping up on stage at a TEDx talk, like things that include like your visuals of how it would happen. And when you practice visualization, your brain stores that those same visions in the same place it stores memories and it can't tell the difference. So then when you go, if you practice visualization consistently, even with a vision board, and then you go to tell your brain like, hey, can we do this? You are way more likely for your brain to pull up one of those images as a memory and as evidence and proof that you can do it, even if you haven't done it yet. Yes. It's like you've created some Google sites in your brain. And now when you, I mean, some websites, and now you go through with your brain, Google. I just, I'm loving that analogy. Sorry. It's just really helping me solidify this a little bit. You've created some websites by looking at this and imprinting it. And so now you can, it's just like a fascinating, the stuff going on behind the scenes, isn't it? Oh yeah. And it's so funny. The Google the Google analogy with our brain that I use probably the most with my clients that they are obsessed with. They've actually even, we have this joke. I was asking, I was saying, I'm just going to make stickers for them uh, that they could all put on their computer. And I had different versions of them and they were all throwing out their favorite quotes of mine to put on stickers. And one of them was hapsters. We know that we don't, I don't know. Because what I always say is that your brain is a machine, right? So if you ask it the right quality question, it will come up with an answer. You don't need to look outside of yourself. We're so trained in school to like, the answer is out there. You just need to find it, study it, memorize it, and then, you know, regurgitate it. But we would never create anything new. So thank God there are people that think differently. But if you look inward and you ask yourself the right quality question, your brain is going to tell you something. Now, what happens when you tell yourself, I don't know? Like, imagine what would happen in Google if you typed like, oh, how long should I put Brussels sprouts in the <laughs> at 400? And Google was like, I don't know. Like, you'd be like, like what? I feel that way all the time when I talk to Alexa. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't get that. <sighs> and no, but it's so true. It's like, we don't even understand that I don't know is not an option. So I just tell my clients all the time, they know better now, but it's hilarious when a new client comes in and we're in a group coaching call and I'll ask them a question and they're like, mm, I don't know. And everyone's like, 
Ooh, did you just say that? Because if you allow yourself to accept, I don't know, as an answer, your brain stops its tracks and it stops looking for evidence of anything, right? So if you were to say like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to major in to a senior? And they were like, I don't know. Your brain's like, okay, no more work to be done here, right? And you Mm. never figure it out, right? Versus if you're like, what would you like to major in? And the person's like, well, I'm interested in this and I'm interested in this. And you just start to a little bit not allow, I don't know, as an answer, you'll be shocked with what comes out of your mouth. Just start. And I would start to practice this with your kids. If any of your kids are the type that will tell you, I don't know, I do not let Calvin say, I don't know. And he's only three and a half. And I just say like, I don't know, it's not an answer. <laughs> he's always like, now he'll prompt me. He'll say, I don't know. I don't know is an answer. It's so funny. <sighs> but truthfully, it's a really incredible habit for you to create for your brain because it'll continue to work for you the same way Google will. And it will produce something. Even if the answer is, I'm not sure yet, but you know who might know? Or my best guess would be this. Then you're opening yourself up to experimenting, which sometimes results in failure, but that's okay. We just collect it and move right out. This reminds me of why I love Voxer, which is kind of like a walkie talkie app where you can have an on-demand. You basically leave an extended voicemail for someone and then they respond. Like, so I get to have, it's almost like I'm in a phone conversation on demand, right? And so I have like a handful of Voxer friends that I talk to all the time at Voxer and I am way more in tune with their lives than anyone else. But sometimes, and I talk to some of my colleagues or coaches or people I work with on there as well. And so what I'm taking away or what this is triggering me to remember is that so often I'll get on there and as I talk about it out loud, I should probably just talk to myself on my own Voxer first. Like this might be why we talk to ourselves because Often I will start saying, What do you think about blah, blah, blah? And then I just talk through it and like, Well, I guess I came up with the answer. Never mind. <laughs> like, you just yeah. have to have the opportunity to talk about it out loud. Cause sometimes when you ruminate it with it in your brain and you don't make it a tangible thing, it just gets rolled around. Right. And as soon as you give it breath and life, sometimes it's like, Oh, that's the clear direction. It makes more sense when I talk about it out loud rather than let my brain tug a war on it. Yeah. Half of my, uh, tools that I come up with are usually because it's an issue that I have myself. And in school, I was constantly reprimanded for asking a question before thinking about it. Like Mm. I was that kid that was very annoying asking questions all of the time. And I thought it was a good quality. And in general, I do think asking questions a good quality. But the truth is, is that I was asking a lot of questions because I just felt like I didn't know the answer. And oftentimes, some of the things that I was asking, my teacher would be like, what do you think? And I'd be like, ugh. And then I would come up with the answer. And they'd be like, yeah, that's right. And then you get that's coaching. confidence, right? Yeah. Right. That's the ability of a good coach. Yeah, exactly. I think it really will close the loop between a lot of things that any listener might already be trying to solve for. It's like, why am I doing this? Well, whenever my clients are asking a question that's hypothetical, I just encourage you to answer it too right? Because chances are you'll be able to change it. Because if you leave it just ambiguous and you leave a question mark in your thoughts, the whisper answer is always, I don't know. And it's just as worthless as a hypothetical question, right? Yeah. Okay. This has been wonderful. Yesterday, when we kind of prepped for this discussion, we said, we've used some real world examples. Should we use another example before we 
kind of close it out? Yeah, sure. So I think most of your audience, what are they struggling with? So specifically maintaining a diet or... Well, actually, it's a lot of health savvy health professionals and moms and consumers that are just interested in up leveling life, health and happiness, right? So we always run into those struggles or issues in life, right? So we can use one of those examples. Like I can tell you from a client perspective, I've been working on this program around skin conditions. And so I'm kind of hyper aware of some of the things that I've been seeing either from that client perspective or from me as the teacher perspective. Should we go there? Because usually at the end of the day, the people I'm working with, let's say one-on-one, we identify that we have an issue that we would like to not have anymore, right? Yeah. So essentially a goal, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah, give it to me. Give me give me one you're working on like right now if you have anything on the spot. From the client's perspective, I am working on an eczema program. So I can talk all day about it from my perspective if we want to go that route, or I can talk about it from the client perspective because I've been the client as well. Yeah, let's be the client because that's probably more... Maybe who's mm-hmm. I don't know. Sure. Of course. Yep. Absolutely. So let's say we've got this stuff popping up on our skin and we're starting to notice that oh, don't really love this. Would like to not have that. So that's the goal. Would like to have clear skin. Okay. And so the solutions that you are giving them are, I know you are a scientist just like me. So like the, a smattering of experiments that they do. I know you don't have a one size fits all solution. So part of it is Well, I do have a method, but yes, it is a set of experiments, but it's usually based on the type of skin issue that they have, right? So we make it a little more efficient. So I don't know if that helps you in your... I really don't know your method. So I'm making this up. You can stop me if it's not relevant. But I think always, I mean, even with my clients now, Kristen and I met back when we were doing fitness coaching, actually, like way back. And I still use the analogies of like fitness or food all of the time because it's something that we all deal with, right? It's like we all have bodies. We all struggle daily with figuring out what is the food that I should be putting in my mouth versus what is the food that is creating what result in my body, right? Mm -hmm. So I set a goal for my clients to help them stop specifically the ones that were trying to avoid experiencing the negative emotions that were coming up in their business by seeking false pleasure in either food or alcohol. Wine. Yeah. (laughs) Food or wine, right? Food or alcohol. And so what we did was we created an urge collection sheet. So my coach has something called the urge jar, but it kind of totally tied in with what we were doing with failure collection, which is, hey, like the goal is to track and understand and be open to experiencing both sides of the 50-50 as you're going through it. Because if it's only all or nothing, your brain, as soon as you make a mistake or an error is like, we failed, this is over. And then it wants to over index in the other direction, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say, so we would just write down, okay, if I crave, so it was like a craving collection board. So I had like a piece of paper that they could print out and put on their refrigerator. And anytime they decided that they had a craving for, I don't know, something, wine, something, they were feeling stressed and they wanted to open a bottle of wine, but they really actually didn't. They instead drew a line, like a little line on the piece of paper that was like a craving collected, right? And then when we 
do that. And this is my coach, Brooke Castillo, who came up with the urge jar, which she actually had like little marbles that you would put in the jar. When your body wants to physically do something when it has a craving so that it'll stop and it gets that little bit of dopamine that you get from just even like opening an ice cream gallon or opening the wrapper of like a Cheez-Its bag that's like your kids or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So instead of actually doing that and eating, you are giving yourself that little bit of satisfaction of being like, oh, craving collected. And so instead, like you can either collect the fail and you can write a note there and you're like, oh, okay, like I collected a fail and it's actually okay. It's part of the 50-50 and likely you're going to have like in the beginning, just as many fails as you do collections, but giving yourself permission to be aware of that just shows you that like, it's okay. Your brain tells you like, you're going to die if you fail, but actually it's fine. You have proof that you failed. You've had proof that you've succeeded and neither one created like chaos in your life. I liked that example because it was a tangible way to work through stress eating and drinking, which I'm pretty sure everyone has dealt with, especially the last six months. <laughs> and it was free, essentially, right? Yeah. It's a free way to work with it. And the other thing that's interesting is I've had other guests talk about this goes back to like doing something tangible, right? Mm-hmm. And so essentially you're doing something tangible because at the end of the day, it's like I don't really want to open the bottle of wine. I don't really want how I'm gonna feel on the other end of that at the end. Like I don't really want the headache on the other end. Right. And so it's just a way to do what you want and still kind of lean into it a little bit. Right. Like you collect the failure, you write it down, you move on. Like, I guess you could indulge or you couldn't. Right. But it's more of stopping and acknowledging, which is a huge piece in, in getting what we want to. When we set a goal, we're using our prefrontal cortex, which is like the part of our brain that we use to plan and think about the future. And that part of our brain is not wired to care about being comfortable or safe or pleasure. But the part of our brain that we're using in the moment is our our primitive brain, our lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, brain stem. And that part is the most primitive part of our brain that is designed to go towards pleasure and comfort and ease and away from discomfort or you know, it wants instant gratification. And so when you're doing this like little thing, that tangible thing, whatever it is that any, you know, guest host of yours, I'm sure there's like so many different experiments that you can use. You are having your primitive brains back. You're like, Hey, I got my future self and I got my present self. Like we can both be happy. It's not, I think the struggle is always like one of yourselves feels like they're always making a sacrifice and losing. And this is a little tiny loophole to give you some dopamine and also not end up, you know, indulging in stress and then feeling bad later. I love it. The prefrontal cortex is the mature parent. I think I've heard it um, described as and the, and the lizard brain or primitive brain is really the child. And we act with our child a lot. And I think if you opened Facebook right now, you could see that we act that way a lot. And I learned in my conversation with the creator of Muse, the meditation headband, a lot about how our prefrontal cortex kind of just loses its mojo over time, but is preserved through meditation and just like, probably stepping back and looking at big picture and not just reacting all the time. I think that might be my key takeaway right there is like when we just react and we don't think about things big picture strategically, like we don't get what we want. If we just react all the time, we have to go into life a little bit more 
objective, like not reactionary. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, future, a little more future focused than just like what we instantly want to experience and feel in the moment. And when we're aware, and again, if any of you guys are entrepreneurs that are constantly reacting, you don't know how to stop it. Like it's science, right? So like a lot of the teachings that I do with my clients is helping them understand you are feeling a a feeling, not just because feelings don't just happen to you. It's because you're thinking a thought. And a lot of our thoughts are suggested to us, but we don't have to actually believe them. I always say like another visual for you is like, just swipe left on that thought. Like you don't have to think like I need this right now, or you don't have to think, I don't know. You don't have to think this sucks, this whole COVID thing. You could think about something else, right? You just swipe left on that thought. But that's a whole conversation for another day. That'll be part four of <laughs> just in I love it. Today, we've accomplished brain as Google talking about collecting failures to kind of trick your brain into a thing that it makes a case against that you cannot do. We've talked about practicing that I don't know is not an answer with kids, which I love. I love like it's so good to practice and it builds, you know, it builds conversation. Like imagine what would happen. I'd love for people to say I tried that and here's what happened. I'd like yes. love, love, love if people told us that. And then we also talked about that dopamine release and how like a simple strategy to kind of cope with stress eating and drinking, which I think is a really relevant topic, no matter who you are. So man, we could just keep going. I always I think I actually I will tell you just the last 24 to 36 hours have been some of my like most not fun 24 to 36 hours in many, many months. But talking to you is awesome. So I hope that people listening to this also feel like a sense of, hey, that was like, I feel like I'm in a totally better place to go into my day. So Jess, if people want more of that feeling, where can they go to find you? Thank you for saying that, Krista. I feel the same way. I seriously could talk to you forever. It's just, we never have to do any prep for our calls because it's like, I'm like, we only catch up once every like six months. And every time we talk for like an hour and it's like, get it all in. So where can you find me? We can connect on Instagram. That's probably the place I hang out the most. I, I'm a busy mompreneur. So I'm all about the Instagram stories. You can get that sneak peek into like little coaching value ads from my clients that I'll just pop in there. My Instagram is what's happening. That's W-H-A-T-S-H-A-P-P-Y, happy, N-I-N-G-W-Jess, what's happening with Jess. Um, and definitely DM me on there. I know actually I've had a couple of followers that I am connected with now that followed me from previous episodes that are like Instagram friends of mine now. So I just want to keep it going. The less stressed life slash what's happening love fest. And you can also find me if you're interested in, in a coaching program or hiring a coach and my style is for you. I always recommend setting up a free mini session with me. That link is in my bio on Instagram, or you can go directly to my website, which is what's happening.com. Or you can email me at jessica at what's happening.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming back. I do look forward to part four of our conversation. Yes, yes. And also, if you guys want to hear Krista on the flip side, be the interviewee, it's going to be just as incredible. And you can hear that on she'll be guesting on my podcast, which is the what's happening podcast in a couple of weeks. So check that out there too. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. Cheers. 
One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 